Welcome to Career Chat, where we discuss career stories to help find a path for you. I'm your host, Andrea LeBaron, and it's my goal to help you find meaningful work. Kyle Ackerman grew up watching his dad spend many years in the National Park Service, but he didn't consider it for himself until after graduating from college and trying other jobs. To his surprise, becoming a park guide has become Kyle's passion too. From working at the parks in Flagstaff, Arizona, Sitka, Alaska, and Death Valley, Kyle spent a few years at Zion National Park before transferring to his current position as a park guide at Arches. In this episode, we discuss how to apply for the National Park Service, what a typical day is like, and how we can practice sustainable tourism and have the best experience possible. I learned so much and know you will too. Let's get started. Welcome, Kyle. I am so happy to have you as a guest on my podcast today. Would you um, be able to get us started by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about where you're from, um, maybe your family, and what your current job title is? Absolutely. Thank you again for having me, too. So uh, my name is Kyle Ack. Like you mentioned, I'm currently working as a park guide uh, or, you know, casually could say like park ranger uh, at Arches National Park. Um, But I grew up in a place very different from this. Uh, I like to say it's a land far, far away called (laughs) Oregon. (laughs) I love that. It's it's very uh, different climatically to Utah, but it has some similarities. Um, But I grew up in the southern part of that state, uh, though I had, I was actually born all the way over in Tennessee on the eastern side of the U.S. And so um, the reason I even moved out of Tennessee and came to Oregon when I was really young has to do with the Park Service. Really? My father actually works for the National Park Service and has for over 40 years now. Uh, He is a superintendent up at Crater Lake National Park. And originally his job brought us out west to when he began working at a little national monument called Oregon Caves. Do you think that that just right off, did that spark your interest in, in being part of the national parks? Or do you think you would have found your way there, even if your dad hadn't worked for the national parks? It's been a meandering road. And I'll tell you, <laughs> since I was a child, I didn't really harbor a special interest in becoming affiliated with the National Park Service, but it had always represented a sort of home for me. And I have to give my parents credit. They both, ever since I was a child, supported me in whatever made me happy. And I think that's one of the greatest things they could have given me is that kind of unconditional love and support. And that allowed me to explore many different paths. And eventually, in an unexpected way, I came back to the park service. And I think uh, my dad's proud of me, at least he said, but he never <laughs> tried to push me actively in that direction. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, I want to come back to that for sure. uh, In that talking about um, doing things that make you happy, because I think that's a really big part of finding your life's work. Um, But I just want to say, um, last spring, just this last spring, I took a little trip with my 12 year old daughter to Arches, and I had not been since I was a teenager. It's just a few hours south of Salt Lake City for people that haven't been there. And I mean, we are so spoiled in Utah. We have five national parks, which is pretty amazing, right? You're surrounded. (laughs) We are. We really are. And Arches, I mean, it was just spectacular. I could not believe how beautiful it was. And I had memories of being there as a kid, but boy, they, you know, it, it just, 
I couldn't believe how pretty it was. And I'd totally forgotten the natural beauty that's there. The other thing that was so lovely about it was it wasn't too hot yet because we do get really hot, right? In the summer. That's the kicker. Down there. Yeah, you must have. <laughs> yes. And so I was there when the temperatures were like 60s and 70s, which was really amazing. Um, so it was an absolutely beautiful time of year to go. And so as I'm there and we spent a couple of days just doing all of the major hikes and seeing all of the major arches, um, I really started to think about what would it be like to be an employee at the national park and like, how does that even work? And so I started thinking through some of these questions and actually went up to at the visitor center to ask somebody at the desk if I could kind of do an on the spot interview and they're like oh actually you need to get permission and so it's taken a few months we're right in the middle of summer right now to put this together and then this interview will air in the fall so um i kind of want us to be thinking like the of these questions in terms of a year-round approach to the national parks because i think they're always um applicable and always um something that you know, people go to year round, right? But there are like peak season and off season times to go. And, and we'll get into that. The first thing I want to know is you said that you're, you kind of had a um, kind of a windy road to the national parks, right? And I'd love to hear like what it was that eventually took you to this job. That's a really good question. What I think about a lot, uh, you'll find that Park rangers, people who work for the National Park Service, I should say, they come in a lot of different flavors. I mean, there are so many different jobs you can do for the Park Service. And uh, even when I started working for the Park Service, I wasn't quite too sure where I wanted to end up yet. Uh, I began trying to figure out what I wanted to do like most people in high school. And I, I wanted to do everything. I mean, maybe it's because I was in such a privileged position that like I had the ability to try so many different things. But uh, I remember the first job I wanted to be was like an astronomer when I was a young child. So for a while, I thought I would do that. And then in high school, I got into things like speech and debate and theater and performance art like that. I thought that was really cool too. Uh, I ended up going to college without a clear idea of what I wanted. So I joined what was called the University of Exploratory Studies at Oregon State University <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of being in the College of Science or the College of Liberal Arts. Um, and I had a, count, a guidance counselor there who helped like pick classes for me and let me explore. Uh, throughout my college education, I tried courses in everything under the sun, from science to mathematics to you know, uh, humanities and art and philosophy. And I really enjoyed a lot. But what it ended up doing for me was accentuating some of my talents, which would include things like speaking or writing, communications. And I ended up with a degree. It was a, the longest title ever. Ready for this? I'm a ready. Bachelor's of Science in Liberal Studies with an <laughs> option in New Media Communications and wow. a minor in Philosophy. Oh right. my goodness. <laughs> I don't tell many people the whole length of that. I usually just say I studied journalism or something because, right. but I, I just was, you know, kind of all over. And I was allowed to create my own curriculum there in the liberal studies college at Oregon State University. And um, they had this new media department where I got to learn writing, communication, uh, storyboarding, film, uh, photography. And I kind of went from there. I got a career in uh, marketing for a short time, like a few years after college. And I worked in Portland, Oregon, 
uh, for a company. And then I just decided maybe I needed to try some other things. I wasn't finding myself as committed to that work, not doing my best work, which I think sometimes that's a sign that we're not passionate about what we're doing. Mm. And uh, some really good friends said, hey, have you ever tried doing that park ranger thing that your dad's been doing for so long? And I was like, well, maybe that would be cool. So um, I left that job and started just working, you know, kind of minimum wage jobs just to pay the bills. Like I worked at Target for a while. I uh, worked for a company called Evergreen Escapes doing wine tours in the Willamette Valley for a season. <laughs> um, but then I remember at the end of that first season, it was like winter came and it was like, okay, well, our summer season's over. And I was like, what do you mean the summer season's over? Like, <laughs> I had never experienced seasonal work. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I better go find some more jobs to do in the winter. <laughs> but during this entire time, um, I actually had uh, my employer at Evergreen Escapes had worked at the National Park Service and helped me craft a resume and get my, uh, my foot in the door, basically, with applying for those jobs. And eventually I got contacted. I was kind of like third or fourth string, mind you. Uh, but I got contacted just for a fee collector job at Arches National Park and took it because I knew, well, I don't necessarily want to collect fees for the rest of my life at the Park Service, but it's an inroads and it'll give me opportunities and get me going in the right path. That's amazing. Anyway, that's a long answer. No, Sorry no, no, about no. that. <laughs> I, love, I love that you shared that because I think there are so many kids that relate to that of not knowing what you want to do starting college, just seeing all of the choices and trying to figure out, you know, where to land. And I love that you were able to try a bunch of different things and, and eventually put something together and, and graduate with a degree. I think that's great. I want to know, like um, you said, I think you mentioned to me earlier that you started out as a seasonal worker with the National Park Service, which then turned into a permanent job. Um, is there a kind of an entry level position? Is it a seasonal position with the National Park Service or um, could you start like full time, you know, all year round with the Park Service? So that question has a lot of layers to it, even if mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it on the surface. Working for the federal government, um, whenever you apply for any job with the federal government, it will have like a job series or a title like already created, like a job description for that job. Mm -hmm. And when I use the term park ranger, it should be noted that like, that's kind of, I'm very casually using it for like someone wearing green and gray uniform with a flat hat who does a bunch of different jobs. Like sure. uh, I am uh, a park guide at Arches. And so it's very common for people to start out as park guides or as park ranger interpreters. And when I say interpreter, I don't mean foreign language, it's more interpreting the natural and cultural resources of the parks. Mm. Uh, so if someone's interested in my career, that's usually what you would find on the website, usajobs.gov, where all of these positions are publicly posted, uh, or most of them are. Some are internal to the agency, but especially the seasonal ones, they're open to the public. Mm. Okay, so would you recommend, like, if, you're, if someone's interested in the National Park Service, um, checking out that site, usajobs.com or .gov, uh, .gov right. and then um, looking for a seasonal position or, or just seeing what's available. Absolutely. There are a few different places to go to start looking for those jobs. Um, there's usajobs.gov. That's kind of the major public portal where those positions are posted. And then there's also volunteer.gov. 
gov. That's a really important site because many people who end up becoming seasonal employees and then permanents start out as volunteers. Such a great idea. And and I think that's you many people would find that in other industries as well, but it's nice to know that it's also in the National Park Service that if you love an area, you love a park and you really want to be part of it, you can start out as a volunteer. Absolutely. And I mean just to name a few others, I know that we have like AmeriCorps and the Student Conservation Association. I think those are, you know, nonprofit organizations that people can go and get connected in these public lands, whether it's national parks or other public lands, and get that kind of experience. So those are all good resources to check out. So when you get hired, um, do you have go through any kind of a training program? I mean, do you need a lot of skills up front before you get hired? It sounds like being a volunteer would be helpful, but let's say you're coming to it without volunteer experience. Are they looking for a college degree? Are they looking for, you know, pa- interest and passion for that yeah. national park? What are they looking for? Absolutely. So it's a great question. Um, to go back to kind of how it's scaled with with regards to the college degree being required or not, uh, these positions like federal positions are usually, at least my job, is a GS or general schedule 05. Um, And the general schedule is a publicly available pay scale that anyone can look up. Um, And so my park guide position is a GS 05. And for that, if you have an undergraduate degree in a related field, then you can automatically kind of qualify for that job. Uh, And then it helps to have the specific experience that they're looking for, like, you know, opening and closing a visitor center or providing public talks on certain topics, uh, public speaking ability, those kind of things. However, initially, you might remember that I, my job for the park service, the first one I had, was as a fee collector at Arches. And so that was one of the ways that I was able to get that inroad successfully is by putting the experience that I'd had in customer service as well as cash handling, you know, had a lot of a lot of people be able to vouch for my professionalism because you are a public servant. Professionalism is a big part of our job. And then those things equated perfectly into that fee collector position because you are literally welcoming everybody to the national park. And sometimes you're the only park ranger they see all day in that Mm, little fee booth, even though it's only a few minutes. So you don't have to have experience in a visitor center to get a job with the national park service. especially if you go for what are called recreation fee technician jobs, which is what they call the fee collector positions nowadays. Okay. So those are great ones to sort of get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Are they, (laughs) when they look at your, um, your application, are you putting, for example, I worked at Target down as, (laughs) you know, uh, some, where you could demonstrate, I worked with the public and I, you know, uh, was in customer service and all of those things could be transferable skills that would also help you in your job. Absolutely. I mean, in my initial USA Jobs resume, I was recommended by that, uh, that boss at Evergreen Escapes, the guiding company. He said, put everything on your resume, go mm. all the way back to high school. Like if you operated a cash register at a hot dog stand, that shows that you have some level of responsibility at some point in your employment career. And then if necessary, of course, they'll follow up with like you know, references if necessary. But with the USA job system in particular, make a long resume. I mean, my resume currently is about 14 pages long on USA wow. jobs. It's not the common like, you know, you want to be concise with a one page resume. That can be helpful sometimes. 
But in this situation, with the online system, you'll sometimes have to go through an automated kind of uh, check for right. those skills and abilities. And it needs to be present on your resume to count. You need to be able to point to it and say, look, at this year, this is what I did. So I would be, that would be one piece of advice I give is put detail into your resume. Don't worry about the length if you're doing it on USA Jobs. You can always provide a cover letter if you would like to call out specific experience and show or highlight why in particular you'd be good at a specific job you're applying for. Mm, that's really good advice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You mentioned to me that you have worked with the National Park Service now about eight years, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and you've had quite a varied experience. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the places that you've worked besides Arches? Sure. I think for me, part of the fun of this job was starting out as a seasonal employee and being able to explore, to being able to have opportunities in different places I may never have lived or worked otherwise. I began at Arches, and then I went down to the Flagstaff Area National Monuments, which includes Sunset Crater, Volcano National Monument, Walnut Canyon, and Wapatki National Monuments. Uh, those are all managed together with very different resources. And those were pretty small. I mean, they're pretty close to Flagstaff, Arizona, and the Grand Canyon. But uh, they get many fewer people than some of the larger parks. And so at those smaller parks, I found that I was responsible for a little bit more. Like my job description may have said one thing, but you know, then I could also, I had room to explore and do other things on the job, like working a cash register at the visitor center while also doing interpretive talks and also participating in evening programs and night sky astronomy, you know, dark sky preservation topics. And sometimes even being a community liaison and helping with uh, dark sky events in Flagstaff. I would take our park telescope and represent the parks there and talk about light pollution and how the parks protect those dark night skies. Uh, sometimes even helping local classrooms come out and do field research with our education division. So I had a lot of opportunities to do lots of different things in those smaller park environments. That was just the beginning though. So I kept going all over the West to like Sitka, Alaska and down to Death Valley to Great Sand Dunes National Park, and then more recently to Zion National Park prior to Arches. And Zion is about as far away from Sunset Crater Volcano as you can get in terms <laughs> of visitation. It is one of the most heavily visited national park sites in the United States. And I would argue one of the most congested just because the popular stuff is located in about a six mile long narrow canyon. So there, I was really just focused on like operations and visitor services, like an interpretation. Like those were the, the main things I was doing there was providing interpretation programs, but also during the pandemic, helping to make sure the shuttles flow, like the flow of the shuttles went well. We implemented a shuttle ticket timed entry system there at the time. And that needs bodies on the ground to help. So you do get to see a lot of uh, variety. Yeah. I have, I have two questions right off that I don't want to forget to ask you. The first one is, um, do you know like what the difference is between working for a national park and working for a state park? Because mm -hmm. the, um, I'm not sure if the two systems run parallel to each other or if they kind of have an overarching umbrella that they both fit under. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because a lot of visitors ask that too. 
state parks are relegated to the control and management of the states in which they're located. So like our Utah state park, such as like Dead Horse Point State mm-hmm. Park or Goblin Valley State mm-hmm. Park, mm-hmm. those are managed by the state of Utah's like um, their equivalent of public, of public land management. So their rangers, like their rangers work for the state, not for the federal government. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Whereas national parks are more federally managed. And so we work like I'm an employee of the Department of the Interior and the National Park Service being an agency under that umbrella. And so I'm a federal employee as opposed to a Utah state employee. Okay. And then the second question I had was, is working for the National Park Service kind of like working for the military in that you like get deployed to a certain park where, you know, and then like, if you kind of rise in seniority, do you get to choose like, oh, I'd really like to go here. I'd like a transfer. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to be next to my significant other over in this park. You know, can I do that? Like how much oh, significant how, others? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's like, <laughs> how much choice do you have? Uh, that's that's something we struggle with a little bit. The choice, uh, but not because it's like a military structure. So it's a pretty common misconception, actually, that we're closely related with the military and how we're deployed because we are actually civilian employees. Uh, we are not under orders to go anywhere or work at a particular park. We actually, as you know, civilian employees, apply for these jobs uh, when we want them. And so I, when I want to go to a new job or transfer to another job, it must be posted on usajobs.gov, or at least it usually is. And then I will submit my application along with other qualified applicants from across the country and sometimes other national park units. And then it will go through the hiring process where we will have to interview and be qualified for those positions. Okay. So are there certain parks, like some of those, you know, some of the, the big ones, Grand Canyon, Zion, um, where like getting a position at those parks is just almost impossible because everybody wants to work there or is, are there enough spots that there's frequent turnover? And like, if you really want to go there, you're going to end up there at some point in your career? Mm. My experience is pretty limited in terms of which ones are the hardest to get into. I think just speaking with seasonal employees, remembering my time as a seasonal, even now as a permanent, it is a competitive job market in the, the federal government for these jobs at least. So I know that every one of these park guide positions or um, interpretation positions that comes up, it receives sometimes hundreds and hundreds of applicants. And wow. it can be really difficult to, to compete in those situations. I would say that, yeah, it's hard to tell how easy or hard it is to get a job at one particular park. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes at Grand Canyon, at least I'm thinking in my head, maybe if they have more positions, maybe it's a little easier to get one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't applied to Grand Canyon before. I don't know about <laughs> okay. that one in particular. <laughs> well, you've had quite a variety, at least within the West, it sounds like. I did want to give a little bit of context. I looked up um, just like what what's our biggest national park, which national park receives the most visitors. And it, from what I understand, it's the um, Great Smoky Mountains that has the highest volume of visitors with like 14 
million a year or something like that. Yeah. Isn't that staggering? Yeah. That is really amazing. And you were born in Tennessee where part of the Great Smoky Mountains is, right? I was just never made it there, I think, before <laughs> two or three years old, but I, I'll have to go back someday. <laughs> yes. Well, then um, the second most visited is the Grand Canyon with almost 6 million visitors. But to put that into context, Zion has had over 3 million, right? Um, And then you've got our big five or what they call the big five or the mighty five in Utah that frequently get, you know, um, many, many visitors every year. Can you tell us what a typical day is like for you? Like right now in peak season of summer, Um, like start to finish, what does a typical day look like? So do you feel like there is a certain type of person who would be really good at working in the National Park Service? Or are there enough, like you mentioned, variety, enough different positions that really all types of people are needed with all kinds of skills? I would say that all types of people are needed in the Park Service. You have uh, like I've described my job as being this very people focused. So for my job specifically, I can say flexibility, not just of uh, life circumstances when you're starting out, but of the want and willingness to learn is really important. And I think, honestly, I was prepared for that by not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> so I learned about a lot of different things. And I studied journalism, which is like a, a field where you do have to research and learn and be open to new things and new ways of thinking. Uh, If you're working for a bunch of different parks, you will have to learn about everything from volcanoes to, you know, uh, ecosystems and ecology, to climate change, to cultural history and anthropology. And people will look to you to be able to answer their questions on these things for your specific area where you're working. And longevity in that area helps. Having studied that at college always helps. But at every park I've been at, you also are usually given a few weeks of basic training on the resource itself. That way you are familiar with it some, and your personal education in that space will continue far after those first two weeks. Mm, so I would say point. flexibility is a really good quality, a flexibility and willingness to willingness learn. Willingness to learn. That Absolutely. like essential. Mm-hmm. So I want to just um, talk quickly about some of the changes you noticed during COVID, because we heard a lot, especially in Utah, I don't know if it was nationally, but we heard a lot about how the national parks just had so many visitors during COVID, whether it was like the ability to work from home and remotely. So people thought, well, why not go visit a national park? Um or just that we had more time to do those things, or we couldn't travel to more exotic locations. And so we were looking closer to home. And for us, that meant the national parks here in Utah. What did you, I mean, did you notice yourself big changes during COVID and now in the aftermath, um, you know, how are those changes affecting the national park? So, I mean, I did notice that like uh, there were more people for sure. I mean, I worked at Zion National Park at that time. And uh, I believe the park closed for a relatively short amount of time. There was a period there, like right after the initial explosion of COVID, where many federal sites restricted access or shut down temporarily. Um, but Zion opened, reopened fairly quickly. And I do recall just a, a pretty slow to start, but then large influx eventually of visitors uh, coming out to their parks again. Uh, even at Arches, I know that in 2020 specifically, the visitation for the year had gone down from 1.6 million in 2019 
down to like 1.2 million in 2020. Mm. So that's like 400,000 fewer people in Arches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still was busy. It still felt busy, mm-hmm. uh, at least in Zion when I was there. And okay. as for long-term and lingering effects, I mean, I know that Arches were still cooperating with like and following local health guidelines and regulations and the CDC stuff. So when the community transmission is high or the hospitalizations are high by county, uh, we'll require masks inside the federal buildings. And then when it goes back down to medium or lower, we will not. Um, One of the things that when I was on my trip, um, it was right at the beginning of where they um, started the time ticket entry for arches. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that's been going on at Zion for a little while. But could you, I mean, my experience was, I thought it was a, a nice thing because every time you pulled up to one of the different parking lots, there was a space you could find parking. And then like hiking up to Delicate Arch, it wasn't like a mob of people. Mm. I felt, granted, I was a little bit more in the off season than right in the heat of summer. But um, is that something, do you think that's a direction the National Park Service is going with? these really high visited parks? Well, let me make a quick correction that Zion National Park does not have a timed entry system. Oh, okay. Uh, They did that briefly during COVID with their shuttles only and just for the part of the park you needed a shuttle to access. Okay. So that is no longer the case. Um, Arches is one of, I think, six or seven different national parks across the country who might have something like a timed entry system. And I can't really comment on whether other parks will adopt it or not. I mean, this is still in the pilot phase for Arches National Park. So this year we're collecting public comment. And if people have feelings about it one way or the other, I would encourage them to email the park and we'll send that to our management team. And we're in the process of, I think they're gonna take all that feedback and look at this as a potential long-term solution if it's been working uh, or not based on the feedback we get and the statistics that we've been gathering over the course of this year. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't realize it was kind of a, maybe a little bit of an experiment to see how well it goes. A pilot program. Can you tell me um, what you feel are the things that you love the most about your work? And then also some of the challenges that you, you find in your job. Absolutely. I, I love what I do. I really love going to work in the morning. Like I remember a marked change when I joined the park service that I would wake up and actually want to go to work. And uh, that might've been a honeymoon period, but man, it lasted for like, it's almost eight years now. Wow. Um, And I enjoy going to work in particular because it brings me that variety. Like I, that's the first reason at least. I love learning about new things. I love sharing those with people. And my specific job as a park guide, I get to do that every day. I get to talk to people about everything from, of course, the timed entry system and how it works, but all the way to geology and like mm. how arches form and what kind of animals actually live out here and how they do that. And how people have lived here for 13,000 years or come through the Moab Valley for that long. And I get to teach them about like who those people were and are today. and that the petroglyphs we see are still connected with living people and cultures. And that's, that's pretty cool. Like all in just like a day of conversation with people. I think another reason it's really important to me and that I, I enjoy this job is because I've seen my dad do it his whole life. And though his role has been more one of administration, but he used to be in the field too. And he's always taken a very active role in trying to make these better public places. And 
I look up to him a lot and I see this job as one that deserves attention and care. And I take a lot of pride in the fact that I get to be a public servant and that uh, I am here to kind of take care of these places the best I can as they've been set aside and as our mission directs. What would you say about challenges? Challenges, yeah. When, if you talk to park rangers across the park service, I would say, honestly, relationships, family, that stuff is sometimes a little hard. I mean, I know you mentioned that with reference to the military and in that mm-hmm. way, it may be a little similar. We don't have deployments or anything like that. But right. when you're a seasonal employee, at least, uh, you want to move around. And sometimes you want to move around and get experience in different types of parks. And that means you're geographically going to be a little unstable for a while. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just because I'm getting to my mid-30s here, but <laughs> I'm, I'm missing my family back home in Oregon quite a lot. And there is something to be said for geographic proximity to those we love. And sometimes when you work in a national park, you won't necessarily have excellent, you know, fiber optic internet to communicate <laughs> with the people you love. <laughs> Though it's getting better, I got to say. But that can be sometimes a challenge, you know, is like balancing that desire for a career that makes you so happy and motivated inside, but also balancing those things that are important outside of the career. Like, mm. you know, being close to your family, being there for the important moments. Uh, that's also equally important in my opinion are you talking about your extended family so like you and your wife are are together in moab although does she work for arches as well or she works for the southeast utah group uh, for arches and canyonlands mostly uh, in the headquarters building nearby so yeah she also is an employee of the national park service okay so that might help at least yeah it does doesn't always (laughs) line up like that (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Well, I can understand though that geographically that could be a challenge with you know where you work and where your family lives. Yeah. But it also um, depends on your priorities, right? True, very true. So what do you have what advice do you have for people visiting arches this summer or this year? Um, or any other national park? Like how can we have the best visitor experience? Uh, the thing that comes to mind immediately is going to sound like a traditional park ranger poster, but, but plan ahead. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> plan ahead is uh, one of the best things you can do to make sure you have a really good experience in your public lands. Now, I know there is, there is that concept of you know, the great American road trip where you just want to take off without anything tying the down. But the reality of it is that many of these national parks are being so heavily visited and used that if we're going to share these resources and still protect them, we have to make plans to accommodate those things. And so though I think you know reservation systems or timed entry systems like arches are still relatively rare across the park service, you have so much information at your disposal with the use of the internet these days that I'd highly recommend getting into that planning a little bit, visiting the websites of the parks and seeing what the major issues may be. We have to remember these parks are also wild places and sometimes environmental changes can make visiting them difficult. I mean, I think of my friends at Yellowstone right now after their major flooding this summer and that, I mean, imagine having traveled halfway across the world and then unexpectedly coming upon a closed sign for one of the biggest national parks in the United States. There's a really good reason that closed sign is there, right? Because of, <laughs> there's, there might not be a road beyond it, but, but that's the kind of stuff where like, if you have very rigid expectations and um, 
lack that flexibility and planning, I think it, it makes it a little harder. So yeah, plan ahead, have a little bit of flexibility built into your travel plans because you know life happens as we've all seen these past few years. And I think you'll have a fantastic time in your national parks. That's great. There's a term called sustainable tourism. And I think it's mm-hmm. where we, we look at these national parks and we see um, you know, how wonderful and beautiful they are. And we wanna make sure that they exist into the future and that we're not using up all of the natural resources are surrounding them and overcrowding them. Do you have any suggestions for how we can, as visitors to these national parks, really be um, aware of you know, what, what our effect on those beautiful areas is? Absolutely. I think one of the things I've learned traveling and working to so many different national parks is that this country is beautifully diverse. But along with that, I've learned that these environments surprise you with what's fragile about them. People come out to Arches National Park and a lot of others in the Southwest, for example, and may not know that we have a form of living soil crust out here that coats the landscape. And this soil crust is very valuable to plants even existing out here in the first place. But if it's stepped upon, if it's crushed by too much traffic from visitation, then it breaks all the little bonds in that crust that are microorganisms growing over decades and decades. And if we continue to damage it, then eventually it'll return to its state of just you know a disconnected sand. And then a windstorm can come through and blow that away and cause weathering. So that's an example of a problem that we have here at Arches and in a lot of desert parks, the people coming from, uh, let's just say my home in Oregon, right? You go out and you walk in the woods and of course you'll stay on the trail, but if you step off the trail, you know, uh, it's going to be soft earth perhaps instead. You come out here in the desert and if you step off that trail and step onto the soil crust, you may damage something for decades to come. So stopping in at the visitor centers, doing your research ahead of time on all park websites and being considerate of these different environments you're visiting, again, with that open-mindedness, flexibility, and preparedness, um, you can learn about what's unique to these environments and then better care for them too. Because every national park is different in terms of what has been specially set aside or what unique needs it has to be protected. That's such a good point. And I I love that idea of I mean, I think when I was growing up, we kind of looked at these types of places as places we could consume, we could just go and see and leave. And I think now when we are, as we're looking at climate change and overcrowding, it's on us to kind of look at, well, how can we help with this problem? And how can we be a more conscientious and knowledgeable um, participant in these beautiful parks. So I, I really appreciate you saying that. Just yeah. to finally um, kind of wrap up our great discussion that we've had, I'm wondering if there, if you wish you had known anything about this career um, before you started, and would you have done anything differently uh, in terms of getting prepared for a career if you had known what was ahead? That's always such a sticky question with me. <laughs> Because, because I feel like so many of us look at our lives in this way, but I also think it's, it's harder than that. Like 
if I would have gone back in my life and changed anything, like good or bad experiences that happened to me, it may have affected the trajectory that landed me where I am today. And so I think I always look back personally and I can tell you that like, oh, I always say, I wish I would have had more focus in school because like <laughs> I, I, I always, I felt like I lacked that focus. Like I always wanted to be elsewhere. My head was always either in the clouds or wanting to go outside. Um, and I had a harder time with academia, which I hold in high regard. But I think that like, you should just pursue the things that you love, pursue the interests that you find fascinating, the things that scratch that itch in you that make you want to do and learn more. I found so far in my career that the best work that I've done is the stuff that I'm most passionate about. And so at least for me, that's the thread I would pull on. And maybe if I did have anything I would say to past Kyle, it would be like, follow what you love, like keep <laughs> doing it, keep doing what you're doing. Like, sometimes the path just like a trail in real life is going to double back on itself and it's going to look like you're walking away from the destination or whatever you've chosen as a destination but you're going to find stuff along the way that you might not have seen before just like in arches national park right you might discover an arch in the rocks that you wouldn't have seen or that wasn't in a brochure maybe that'll be your favorite arch instead of delicate i love that Tell me um, just uh, two more questions. What advice do you have for anyone who's interested in joining the national park team that wants to work for the national park? Like maybe your number one piece of advice. Mm. The word that pops into my mind is, is perseverance mm. and persistence. I think I got a little lucky in that I only had to apply for jobs for maybe a six to eight month period before I got my first opportunity in the park service. And again, that was as a fee collector, right? So I would say if this is something you really want to do, apply for those jobs. Apply for them a lot. Like get used to applying for them. Like use the website, build that resume, uh, interview for jobs that are similar and like it. Don't discredit places like our beautiful state parks or other agencies that manage public land like the National Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, even the, the Bureau of Reclamation, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, all of these things sometimes hire park guides, park interpreters, people to help tell the stories of these different places and public lands. And they might not have the same, for lack of a better term, like marketing high that like a lot of these national parks do, but they're incredibly beautiful places and resources for the American public and the international public, I should say, too. So look for those opportunities and seek them out and be persistent in your pursuit of this goal. Uh, you, will, you will get little breadcrumbs along the way to encourage you. And I think it's just a, a wonderful career path in my opinion. That's a great, great piece of advice. Um, based on your own experience, this is my final question. What would your final piece of advice be for anyone in finding a satisfying career, just in general? I hate to go back to being flexible, but man, sometimes it helps to be flexible It's and to be able to work hard in the position you're in. I mean, I remember there were times when I worked for some minimum wage jobs where I was like, man, I don't want to do this forever. And it seemed really like rough and it's really easy to get down on yourself. But like, especially during the pandemic, we have noticed that like every job is important. And I think as long as you keep working hard and like, I hope that if you keep trying new things, 
that you can find inroads to these positions. And I know that not everybody has the same access to national parks either, which is tough. But hopefully through things like volunteer.gov, the Student Conservation Association, people can be better connected to those opportunities to get their foot in the door uh, to come out and explore these places. I consider myself to have lived a life of a lot of privilege. And so I think that I, I my life is different from many other people's. It's similar in other ways too. But I guess my general advice is, yeah, try to be flexible, but set that goal for yourself. Like have a goal that you're working toward. And I think even if you get to that goal and you're like, maybe this isn't what I want to do, you'll have made some progress. And that's what has led me in this odd meandering constellation that ended up in the national parks. I love that. I think that's so applicable to so many people. Kyle, this has been a fascinating discussion and interview, and I really appreciate you taking time away from Arches to be part of my podcast, and I wish you the best. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, and good luck to anyone out there. I wish all of you the best in your pursuit of what makes you happy. Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time. Thank you.